saints, saints, not sinners. Hmm. Saints, not sinners. Now, I have a wine. I forgot to bring the bottle. I have a wine I love, and they don't make it anymore. Uh, it's called Saint and Sinner. Except it says saint across the top, then there's a label, and there's a sinner upside down. And then I figured out, ah, you're a saint when you're sipping, and you're a sinner when you're chugging. But anyway, I'm kidding. A very nice wine. But it, the cheekiness of saint and sinner is a phrase that we've seen not just in the church world, but in the non-religious world, because the voice is so loud in misunderstandings of Satan Sinner, I want to dive into this for the next couple of weeks. Um, today is going to be a different focus, but this, this series, I think, uh, could be encouraging to you. Uh, our behavior does not determine our identity. Whew. And we'll get into that. That's going to be the, the sub-theme. All right. Things that made me pause this week, and there's a few, and there's some really good stuff, and I hope uh, you're encouraged by what uh, you'll read as well. First, patience is not the ability to wait, but to keep a good attitude while waiting. I thought, ooh, that's different. Okay, good. I like that. Like, it just adds a different layer of understanding. Patty says, I can't do that. <laughs> I love it. Here's another one. Sometimes you have to eat your words, chew your ego, swallow your pride, and accept that you're wrong. It's not giving up. It's called growing up. Whew. You can get pretty full sometimes, too, <laughs> depending on how much you got to chew and swallow. And uh, this, that was good because some people think that by admitting something, you're giving up on a discussion or a theme. You're not. It's a big lesson. I love this one. Last week we talked about forgiving your parents for stuff. This week, this came up that was really good. Forgive yourself for not knowing better at the time. Forgive yourself for giving away your power. Forgive yourself for past behaviors. Forgive yourself for the survival patterns and traits you picked up while enduring trauma. And forgive yourself for being who you needed to be. Many people beat themselves up over past pains and hurts and only now are learning coping mechanisms and strategies to walk through in a much healthier way. Forgive yourself for not knowing what you didn't know. I love this one from N.T. Wright. This is really, really good. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what it means to be human, look at Jesus. If you want to know what love is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what grief is, look at Jesus. And keep looking until you're no longer a spectator, but part of his grand story. I thought, oh my goodness, that's deep, that's rich. It points us back to Jesus, back to love, back to agape. Which brings us to this next quote from uh, Brian Zond. God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There has never been a time when God was not like Jesus. We have not always known what God is like, but now we do. I love that. And that is based on some stuff we've talked about here, where Jesus says, no one knows the Father but the Son. And then... You know, nobody has seen the Father. 
but the Son, and all that stuff. So Jesus is the one correcting the false concepts of who his heavenly Father is, which is one of his purposes. It's been, there were just wrong images portrayed by many good, well-intentioned people. And I thought that was really good. Second last. This is deep. If love is the soul of Christian existence, it must be at the heart of every other Christian virtue. Thus, for example, justice without love is legalism. Faith without love is ideology. Hope without love is self-centeredness. Forgiveness without love is self-abasement. Fortitude without love is recklessness. Generosity without love is extravagance. Care without love is mere duty. Ouch. Fidelity without love is servitude. Every virtue is an expression of love. No virtue is a virtue unless it is permeated or informed by love. And that's why we talk about what is love, the definition of love. It, it's critical. It's, it, it's at the heartbeat, the root, the core foundation of all we believe. And I know it wasn't for me for a long time, but as you start to dig deeper, which, by the way, Martin Luther did when he was translating, hence we're going to get into his stuff in just a little bit. Because he dug deeper, he found a wait, there's more. <laughs> More ways to understand. A deeper meaning not expressed. Last one. Spiritual transformation is not about behavior modification. It is about changing the sources of behavior. So the behavior will take care of itself. I learned this 20 years ago. And to hear it written like this and see it written like this, I love new ways of it just being framed your behavior is not who you, who you are. Otherwise, I'd be a very bad boy. <laughs> I meant I, as a kid, right? Because that's what my mom always called me. I'm such a bad boy. So guess what I did? I acted like <laughs> a bad boy. You know, teachers, well, very few teachers, but a few teachers told me I was really stupid. I'll never learn much. I, you can't do this and blah, blah, blah. So uh, my effort went way downhill in those classes. I believed what was being told to me. But you want behavior modification, you change the way people think. And that includes the way people think of who they think God is. <laughs> I think that's the root of all this. All these other categories of theology, and some of them are big and deep and are really important, but until you begin with who is God, God is love, everything flows from that if you've got other bandwagons, you're going to, yeah, but what about? I'm going to kick that butt in the butt, right? Because it's a rabbit trail. You're escaping from answering the core question, and that's one of my biggest beefs with talking with people who think I'm a heretic or think I'm uh, teaching a greasy gospel, a slippery slope, not being orthodox. I'm thinking, dang, I'm more orthodox than <laughs> the Western church. What are you talking about? Do you even know what the word orthodox means? Like, I didn't for a long time. Now I know. It goes to the core. Read and learn the early church fathers. 
We have so much to learn. I love it. This is cool. Henry Nouwen has this small devotional, and it's called Hope at All Times. This is really, really good. It is, a cent- it is central in the biblical tradition that God's love for his people should not be forgotten. It should remain with us in the present. When everything is dark, when we are surrounded by despairing voices, when we do not see any exists, then we can find salvation in a remembered love. A love that is not simply a wistful recollection of a bygone past, but a living force that sustains us in the present. Through memory, love transcends the limits of time and offers hope at any moment of our lives. I'm getting more and more excited that our church is called Hope Fellowship. I really am. It's, it's so non-religious, <laughs> you know? Instead of First Baptist Church, because we're not the Second Baptist. It's just, it's just hilarious, some of the names that come out. But there's also some wonky names that doesn't tell you who you are. But the fact that we're called Hope Fellowship, however it was started in that small group that met, and I think you guys were part of that, Dan and Alan, is that right? You weren't, okay. Uh, I thought you were, but that's okay. But Rod for sure was, Ron Sharon were, and so on. And Hope was the word they wanted. And it also didn't say Hope Community Church. It says Hope Your Community Church, which means we're participants in this. It's not a leadership dictating what to do. It's participants involved in the flow. Yes, you have people giving direction, some leadership, which is important, but it's a community. (laughs) No one takes control over everything. Nobody hijacks, and I love that. I love that. All right. Saints, not sinners. Let's dig into this because there's a special day coming up. Tomorrow, tomorrow. Nah, you thought Halloween. (laughs) Well, it is, but. Reformation Day. Just a small bit of history. I gave this a couple years ago, but I think this is going to be important to be reminded of this. And I think we need this kind of reminder. Just like the Israelites constantly forgot the love of God and the supply of God in the Old Testament, especially when they're wandering in the desert for 40 years. You know, we sometimes wonder, how can people forget? Well, gee, look at the 40-year journey. Like, they saw some pretty freaky-tiki miracles, and it's like, listen, if you're walking through this huge water thing with, you can go fishing the side of an ocean. (laughs) Um, Believe me, that would stick in my mind to remember who God is. Or all the other miracles, water coming out of the ground, you name it. I'm sorry, my mind, I would think you'd remember, but they didn't. And we may pick on them, but we also look at the disciples. Who saw Jesus raise people from the dead? Who saw leprosy healed? Who saw Jesus make really good red wine? And they forgot and ran away. But after the cross, when the Spirit indwelt them in a way, however the scriptures word it, whatever that was, call it an activation of something that was already there, I don't know. But that added a courage that no one can dispute. If Jesus never rose from the dead, and if they stole his body, as some of the rumors had said, 
These fishermen, plain people who know what is true and this is the real deal, don't, you know, they're like raw and real, they're not going to give up their lives for a lie. Not all of them. So there's some serious credibility to the story. Reformation Day is a religious holiday celebrated on October 31st or the last weekend in October in remembrance of the Reformation, reformation. Why is this important? Because many of our denominations are a result of this event. By the way, this is not your early church fathers. This happened in the 1500s. Early church fathers are the first 300 years. <laughs> Maybe even five if, if you want. So you gotta go back farther than you think. Happy Reformation Day. It isn't just Halloween. The truth written here is a sweeter treat than Halloween candy. <laughs> On October 31st in 1517, pastor and professor Martin Luther nailed a list of 95 arguments on a church door in Germany. Back then, that's how you started a discussion. <laughs> Nailing something to the door. Interesting. Um, Luther's arguments gained wide acceptance and were sent throughout Europe via the newly invented printing press. Central to his concern was that the Roman Catholic Church had deviated from the Bible's simple teaching that you and I can be made right with God only by faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ. Not by actions, not by doing things and practices, but by faith. And we have already learned that it's the faith of Christ already in us. Martin Luther also translated the Latin New Testament into German, and later the Old Testament. The printing press had just come around. Like, this, this is a big deal. In fact, not too long ago was the remembrance of William Tyndale, who... Uh, also did a translation, and he was killed. He was martyred for that. Hmm. Martin Luther posted a proposal at the doors of a church in Wittenberg, Germany, to debate the doctrine and practice of indulgences. This proposal is popularly known as the 95 Theses, or Reeses, <laughs> which he nailed to the castle church doors. I still think that's an odd way to post, but I guess they didn't have bulletin boards. <laughs> the church was the bulletin board because, listen carefully, the church was the center of community. Today it's not. There it is. If you look through a number of uh, European cities, especially in England, it's the church that's the big honking thing in the middle. If you get some cityscape photos, you're going to see houses and big church. And we're talking magnificent and beautiful. Hence, the door being the center. This was not an act of defiance or provocation, as is sometimes thought. Since the castle church, because it looked like a castle, faced Wittenberg's main throughfare, the church's door functioned as a public bulletin board and was therefore the logical place for posting important notices. Remember, the printing press had just been created, so printing was still new. <coughs> also, these theses were written in Latin, 
the language of the church and not the vernacular, which is German. They were it was Germany, right? You'd think he'd write it in German, but he didn't. He wrote it in Latin because that's what all church leaders read and knew. Hence, him translating the Bible from Latin into German so the Germans could have a language in their, or Bible in their language. It's called the Luther Bible. There's very few German translations, and that's definitely the most popular. Just very interesting. Why 95? Hmm. Well, here's a guy named Johann Tetzel, OP. Uh, he was in 1465 to August 1519. He was a Holy Roman Empire Dominican friar. How would you like that title on your business card or name tag? And he was a preacher. This Tetzel uh, was appointed inquisitor for Poland and Saxony and later became the grand commissioner for indulgences in Germany. We're going to get into what indulgences are in a moment. This is important. This is your history. This is my history, and if we didn't know it, you need to be aware of it. This is critically important. Tetzel was known for granting indulgences on behalf of the Roman Catholic Church in exchange for money, which are claimed to allow remission of temporal punishment due to sin, the guilt of which was, has been forgiven, a position heavily challenged by Martin Luther. The idea is you can pay for your relatives in purgatory and have them free or have a shortened period of time by how much you give. Well, ain't that fancy. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> so the richer you were, the more you bought into it. And if you were poor, you got poorer because you really loved your loved ones. It was a sick, sick system. And it's still challenged today, big time. There are snippets of it in their theology, but it's not promoted depending where you are. It's not gone. There are some sects of the Catholic Church that still quietly promote it. It's, it's a horrible manipulation of funds. Oh, no worse than the evangelical church. God will bless you if you give more. Oh, maybe your health for you. Give, give. Like, seriously, we laugh at the Catholic Church for that. It just found new language in the evangelical Western Church, especially in the prosperity movement. So, careful when you think, how could they do that? <laughs> how can we do that? It's not that different. Be careful. And one thing I have learned over the years, and I'm still learning, I've not arrived yet, but there's a few of you here who've journeyed with me on this, that where I used to mock what I used to believe in a demeaning tone, I now see where I've come from, and I'm thankful for the people, I'm thankful for the journey. I'm thank God I'm not there either. That's, I'm more thankful for that. But it's part of my story. It's part of my journey. And I recognize many people still back in those tenets of thinking. And I'd love to drag them along. I can't. I don't have the right to. But for those who ask, I now can identify and help explain why some of those things need to be revisited. And so... When we say, hey, Catholic, anti-Catholic, and we had a Catholic school on the way to our school, public school, so we would throw snowballs at them. They would throw them at us because we were walking the opposite side of the street. Catholics were always teased by the public. Oh, no, no, it was, it was bad. Well, I was in a religious church. We, we fed that. They're, not, they're going to hell. 
well, they looked at us as, you're going to hell. It's like, <laughs> it is nuts, the type of religious in-house fighting. And we didn't realize Jesus was the glue holding us all together. We didn't know. Anyway, um, keep going. This contributed in part to the Reformation. This is the, the whole idea of indulgences was one of the big pillars that pushed his upsetness. And believe me, when you're translating from Latin into German, you're beginning to dig into words and meanings more than most people would. And so suddenly you realize, wait a minute, that is not what this says. Or you skipped over this section, you never highlight this. And he saw that, and that's why he got really animated. I think, yeah, I think coffee was invented a few years before this, so I think uh, there's a connection. The main usage of indulgences was sold by Jonathan Tetzel was to help fund and build the St. Peter's Basilica in the Vatican. I had to look all this up, and in Wikipedia, it says financing and indulgences, you can look this up yourself, you just look up those words at the top. One method employed, one of them, employed to finance the building of St. Peter's was the granting of indulgences in return for contributions. A major promoter of this method of fundraising was Albrecht, Archbishop of Mainz, and Magdeburg, who had a clear debt owed to the Roman Curia by contributing to the rebuilding program. To facilitate, facilitate this, he appointed the German-Dominican preacher Jonathan Tetzel, whose salesmanship provoked a scandal. Do we know salesmanship preachers? <laughs> it's no different. Remember we talked about Jesus' disciples baptizing and the religious leaders were really upset because they were counting how many and said, your disciples are baptizing more than ours. Oh, that's like a gathering of pastors. How many people in your church? Oh yeah? How many did you win to Christ this week? Like all these ridiculous comparison things. I thought, oh that's a newer thing. It's not. It's been going on forever. No different. A German Augustinian priest, Martin Luther, wrote to Archbishop Albrecht arguing against the selling of indulgences. I guess Tetzel became so much of a salesman that do you know we, some things just don't bug you enough, but then a person comes out that's really annoying, purporting something that's really awful? Yeah, I think that might have triggered Martin Luther. He also included his disputation of Martin Luther on the power and efficacy of indulgences, which came to be known as the 95 Theses. You can look all these up. And of the 95, I did notice after reading through them all, yes, I read them all, there's overlap. And rewording, just trying to make the point. This became a factor in starting the Reformation, the birth of Protestantism. You and I here come from that. Our history comes from that. We used to be Catholic. <gasps> yes. There is much good there. There's much good history there. There's also bad history. But same with Protestantism. Like good and bad, it's there. Don't let your pendulum swing to one, well, because they were bad, I want to go this way, or vice versa. Like, you could try and react and respond to those negative things by just refocusing on something different, and your pendulum is out of balance. 
And that's hard when you're struggling and wrestling with these tough topics. This public event, Reformation Day, sparked numerous challenges and questions regarding faith and the role of the church. While the 95 Theses reflected a calling out of the Catholic Church on indulgences, the list included a number of other topics worth reading about. This was not the end, but only the beginning. And I think the Reformation still continues. I think the Reformation is still going on. I think it happens in waves as someone hijacks a really good topic and then locks it in. When we're not called to lock it in, we're called to live by the Spirit. What do you believe? Well, it's on that document right there. I know a lot of churches have statements of faith on their websites. I don't think we do. And if if we do, it's so simple. But to lock it in on paper? Ask any author who's written a Christian book. Once it's in print, it's in print. If it changes, if you grow and mature, but you wrote, you said, yes, but that was 20 years ago. But it still says, I know, but I've grown. You know what I mean? When you write something out like that, and that includes doctrines, and by the way, doctrines are good, but they're not supposed to be the, I don't have to think anymore, cubbyhole. That's what they become. Because now we don't have to visit certain topics because, oh, our doctrines have already dealt with that. I can just live my life. True, but do you actually know what those doctrines are? And things that are assumed? <laughs> While the night, oh, where am I here? Uh, okay, next. Saved by faith, not works. The Reformation was the great rediscovery of the good news of salvation by grace through faith for Christ's sake. Unlike the predominant teaching that you could be saved by your works and indulgences. So you could almost buy your salvation in a sense. You can maintain, listen carefully if this makes sense, you can gain, maintain, or lose your salvation or right standing with God depending on how you behave, how you contribute, how you follow the church rules. Go to church every Sunday, pray three times a week or seven days a week, you're supposed to, read your Bible every day, uh, give, tithe, a lot of money, show up every time the church doors are open. This whole system, separate yourself from the world, If you don't, you're not really a good Christian. It's like, holy smokes, it's become a cult. If you're honest, if you're honest, you can see cult-like systems in the system of churchianity that were never inspired by Jesus. Well-intentioned by good people who love Jesus, but... When they died, others saw that, never caught the heartbeat of it, and just saw the tenants, and then just got deeper, deeper locked in. You gotta go back. You gotta rediscover where these roots came from. To me, it's very exciting. Why does any of this matter? (laughs) Some of you could be thinking that. This is boring. Well, it's okay. Next Sunday won't be. Our history, our lineage matters. Your history, your family history matters. My parents died now, and I did not put enough work into discovering my lineage. I got these books of relatives, like this old history. I I can't understand it, but I never did the work. 
Some of you love doing the ancestry stuff. Some of you bought into ancestry.com, sent in your blood sample, and apparently it works. You've got a lot of history. I've never tried that. Sounds interesting. But people have something built into them to know their connection. Adopted children have a connection wanting to know who their birth parent is no matter what state of life they're in. There's something that, there might be a few that don't, but by and large, most have something built in that also works with your faith. And until you go through the system, let's say you've been going to a church for 25 years, but something hasn't settled well, and you realize, huh, there's got to be just a bit more. What, what am I not hearing? And a hunger begins to grow. And then you begin to discover the past, the history of the church. It might respark a new energy, or you may find a new place to go to because it ceases to serve the journey you're on and the person you are. And who says you can only go to one church? Doesn't say that in the Bible, I'll tell you that. <laughs> we are a community. Learning where we come from, where our faith comes from, is something not studied in churches. The only time it's taught in churches is when you have membership class. <laughs> and then it's only about the short denominational journey you're a part of. That's usually what it is. But what we're talking about today is just a teaser. You can do your own research to go back farther to what types of teachings were going on long before we existed, <laughs> hundreds of years ago. I think Brad Jerzyk does a really fantastic job of bringing out these teachings. Baxter Kruger, really amazing at bringing out these things. Um, there, there's a whole bunch of really good teachers out there that do that. Here's an example of a family Christian tree. Back here is Pentecost, and off that we have all these offshoots. Okay, I know you can't see it, so I shrunk it. Okay, maybe not much, but you can see here's Pentecost. Here's the Holy Catholic Church. And by the way, Catholic does not mean Roman Catholic. It means universal. We are all Catholic. Whether you like it or not, we are part of the universal church of God. Every one of us. But we're not all Roman Catholic. There is a distinction, and not everybody's aware of that. And some people get all offended. No, I'm not Catholic at all. Well, yes, you are. And out of that comes the Orthodox Church and ends up where? Modern Eastern Orthodox Church. It's probably the one denomination that has not changed much. And your eyebrows will go up really high, higher than you thought your face could do it, when you begin to see some of the topics and how they're in very stark contrast to what we evangelicals have arrived at. Oh, they seem to reflect the early church. Ha, imagine that. Tease, tease. Then, out of that comes the Roman Catholic Church. All right? Don't make me do a history lesson. Dave would be good at teaching history, right? Yeah. Um, I think we almost did a Bible study on that, didn't we? Yeah. So the Roman Catholic Church, what comes out of that? We have the modern Roman Catholic Church, but out of that we have these offsets. We have the Anabaptists. We have the Reformation. That's the big one. Church of England comes out of that split. Let's go back up and now move them up so you can see a little closer. Out of the Anabaptists come Baptists. By the way, Anabaptist means to rebaptize. Back in the, uh, I think it was 1600s or late 1500s, the Catholic Church was losing money and the church and state were connected. 
This is very interesting. I, could, I wouldn't believe it was true until I researched this, and I learned this when I became a Brethren of Christ pastor uh, way back when I first started in ministry 32 years ago. But the, the, uh, um, uh, they couldn't tax people if their names weren't written anywhere. So the, the church made a deal. They, however it came out, using the word they made a deal is, is, is not accurate, but I'm just shortening it. So if a child was baptized in the church, their name would be recorded, therefore taxable. You add on, your child is now saved only if they're baptized. Think about that. Only saved in heaven if they're baptized as an infant right away. The sooner you get them baptized, oh, phew, they're in. And then you get this, but wait, there's more. You now need to do all this other stuff as you get older. But anyway, they never talk about that when they're an infant. (laughs) So what happened then? Money started to flow again. But the Anabaptists said, wait a minute. I want to be baptized by my choice. My faith that I've grown now. And so they got re-baptized by choice. And the Anabaptist movement began. So they may have been baptized as infants, but they didn't count it as their choice. It was done to them. And there's value to all of it. But that's how the Anabaptist movement came. Then out of that came the Amish and the Mennonites. Over here we have the Lutherans coming out of the Reformation. That's, they haven't changed much. Their liturgy is deep. We happen to be in a Lutheran church right now. Hence, this topic is kind of fun to talk about. I, my conversations with the previous pastor have been helpful as I re, or hear for the first time, some history I was unaware of. The value of the liturgy they have where, I'll be honest, some of it sounds really boring. I've sat through some pretty boring services in a Lutheran church. But depending on who's presenting it, it can be invigorating. It's okay, you're explaining it to me. Help me understand. It's worth checking out a Lutheran church. Presbyterian. Then you have, um, out of the Reformation comes the Dutch Reformed, which then comes the Christian church, Church of Christ, the Reformed, Disciples. Then you have the German-Swiss Reformed, which is interesting, and the Congregationalist Church, and they became the United Church. Long story. And the Unitarian Church comes out of that. Up here, Church of England, comes the Quakers, which is similar to over here. Then you have the Anglican Episcopal. Then you have the Methodists, and it just goes on and on. This is the simplest chart I could find. If you begin looking for those charts, wow, there's some serious charts, and that screen can't show you. It's just, it'd be so small. <laughs> That's why you need the picture and then blow it up on your screen to be able to see. But this is our history. This is where we've come from. And we don't value it because we don't know it. But that's where we come from. Click. John. Oops. There we go. So there's the whole family tree picture all once again. Just to give you a picture. I can email this to you if you want it. All Saints Day. It is, uh, yep. All Saints Day is a big deal. November 1st. This whole saints business, what is a saint? We're going to cover what is a saint next week. But why All Saints Day? All Hallows Eve, all holy evening tomorrow night. So careful how it's been mistaken as some scary, oh, it's the devil's worship night. It is not. It is not. Christ is in all things, holding all things together, so chill. 
Don't get all bent out of shape and legalistic. Give God a bad name. On this, since we remember other things, here example, the Old, Testament's fe- the Old Testament feasts do not forget the work of God. There are lots of stories about that. At Christmas, we celebrate the coming of Christ. At Easter, we celebrate the resurrection. On birthdays, we celebrate the joyous occasion, weddings and anniversaries. I think uh, Kathy and uh, Scott just wrote, good morning, Scott and Kathy, the newlyweds. <laughs> um, literally, they just wrote that. Thanksgiving, a reminder to be thankful. Remembrance Day is a day in our culture today that we remember the price paid for peace, including those who went to battle and those who resisted going to battle. All Saints Day is about remembering those who have gone before us, the popular heroes and the unknown saints. That's what All Saints Day is about. In the early days of the church, the Christians were accustomed to solemnize the anniversary of a martyr's death for Christ at the place of martyrdom. And a lot of martyrs happened in many different places. Oh no, shoot, almost done. Uh. In the fourth century, neighboring dioceses began to interchange feasts, to transfer relics, to divide them, and join in a common feast, as is shown by the invitation of St. Basil of Caesarea to the bishops of the province of Pontus. Frequently, groups of martyrs suffered on the same day, which naturally led to a joint commemoration. In the persecution of the Dioletician, whatever, the Roman emperor of 284, the number of martyrs became so great that a separate day could not be assigned to each. But the church, feeling that every martyr should be recognized, appointed a common day for all. The first trace of this we find is in Antioch on the Sunday after Pentecost. We also find the mention of a common day in a sermon of St. Ephraim the Syrian in 373 and the 74th homily of St. John uh, Chrysostom. All Saints Day is about remembering. If you don't know what a martyr is, you don't know what a saint is, start researching. Next week we're going to talk about biblically what a saint is. And um, it's, I think it's going to be interesting. But today was more of a history lesson, which is fun. I, those are more, more work to teach and sometimes can be boring, and I'm really sorry. But I think it's still important to know where and why, where we come from and why we do this. And so on November 1st, All Saints Day, maybe give thanks, make it a new Thanksgiving in a sense, for all those who stood up for their faith, all those who couldn't stood up, stand up for their faith, but were still killed anyway because of religious bigots and systems. I think we need to be more afraid that actually, of those who do the martyring. <laughs> those who burn the witches at the stake. Let's be scared of them. I hope there's some encouragement and some insight into this special couple days that are ahead of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You have called us saints. And that's pretty cool. Because we didn't do anything to achieve that. But we are that because of who you are in us. We give thanks for that. We thank you for Martin Luther. For the guts he had to call out a huge institution. To call out things that were unfair and incorrect. For those that do it today, in this journey of unlearning, 
and renovating our faith. Thank you for those that are calling out the wrong, the incompletions of thought and theology. Encourage us, put the hunger in us to want to grow more and to know you better. Just like we sang earlier, if the ocean was ink, it'd be emptied as the pen tries to write out your love for all of us. May your grace and love guide us this week. Amen. All right.